RPG Showcase, the bi-weekly podcast which features news stories about role-playing games, companies, and newsworthy items, reviews of games and game systems, and interviews of both people in the business as well as players and game masters. The podcast is hosted at rpgshowcase.blogspot.com, and please feel free to email them at rpgshowcase at gmail.com. Now here's your host, Mike Conway. Greetings, everybody. This is Mike Conway, and you're listening to RPG Showcase, the podcast that dares to go beyond the board, beyond the console, and right to the table. Beware all ye who enter here, for there is much dice present. We have an exciting episode for you today. Since I mentioned that the fudge system is my favorite, I'm going to go ahead and get that out of the way today by talking about it and some fantastic games that use it at its core. You won't be disappointed, believe you me. We also have some news items that will get your butt planted right in front of the TV. I don't normally endorse a lot of TV watching since I prefer to game over that, but since it's gaming related, you know it's got to be good. I was able to catch up with Tim Huntley, formerly of Domibia Games, and current High Muckety Muck for Seraphim Guard, known for the HeartQuest anime game. We'll be interviewing him in the next edition of this podcast, but I was able to get a few answers out of him about the wonderful things at his company. I also have a link to something really nice, and gotta love it, it's free, as a thank you for your patience with me while I iron out all the technical problems while doing this podcast. You guys are my reason for being here, and I don't want to disappoint. Seeing as how you're my audience, I want to reiterate that I welcome feedback, and if you want to leave feedback at the site, which is rpgshowcase.blogspot.com, you no longer have to be a blogger member to leave a comment. I don't know how I overlooked that, but I made it all better, so please feel free to let me know what you think. As usual, you can send me email at rpgshowcase at gmail.com. Now let's get on with some industry hype. All the new stories that's fit to talk about, even some that ain't. Alright, Dragon Magazine and Warner Brothers have teamed up to create a new Dungeons & Dragons film called Wrath of the Dragon God. A highlight reel was shown at Gen Con Indie on August 20th, which featured scenes from the movie, an interview with Gary Gygax, and on-set clips. The showings began at 8pm and again at 9pm on Saturday night in the Capital 3 Ballroom at the Westin Hotel. A question and answer session followed each viewing. On hand was Dragon editor Eric Mona and Cindy Rice, creative supervisor for the film, and Brian Rudnick, the screenwriter, who shared behind-the-scenes information about the film. Dungeons & Dragons 2 Wrath of the Dragon God will premiere October 8th on the Sci-Fi Channel. Here's what they said about the storyline. When the evil sorcerer Damodar braves a perilous whirlwind vortex to steal the elemental black orb, he declares a sinister plan of vengeance against the kingdom of Ismir. Beric, a decorated warrior, and Melora, an amateur sorceress, join four heroes representing intelligence, wisdom, honor, and strength to battle against Damodar's growing army of gruesome creatures, flying harpies, and an ice dragon to reach a vault room holding the orb. Together, they build their own army to retrieve the orb using elemental forces to defeat Damodar before he summons the sleeping black dragon whose omnipotent evil powers could lay waste to the entire kingdom. Boy, that is exciting. How many D&D creatures did we see in the first movie? We saw a beholder in that movie, but all he did was look mean and float around. There was, of course, red dragons, but not a lot beyond that. Now, Mark Diamond, from the James Bond film Die Another Day, Bruce Payne, who's reprising his role as Damodar from the original Dungeons & Dragons movie, and Clemency Burton Hill from the upcoming miniseries Supernova, star in the new fantasy epic based on the popular D&D role-playing game. I've read the script, says Eric Mona, and I'm impressed by how the film feels like a D&D campaign. From familiar spells to references to Jewelblex and famous adventures from the game's past, D&D fans will find a lot to like in this movie. Oh yeah, Jewelblex. For those of you who are not able to make Gen Con Indie, there was a standing ovation after Eric Mona and the others announced that none of the people who worked on the first movie were involved with this one. 
Also, on screen, we saw White and Undead and the White Dragon with his cold-based breath weapon. There's also going to be a Lich, a Magman, and other D&D creatures. There was also a scene of a spellcaster explaining the difference between arcane and divine magic to the main fighter. For more information, visit Paizo Publishing and the Sci-Fi Channel's website at the links provided on my podcast homepage. In other news, Domibia Games announced on August 15th that they purchased the assets of Seraphim Guard Incorporated and are continuing business as Seraphim Guard LLC. In addition, Seraphim Guard LLC has reacquired the rights to the popular HeartQuest romantic role-playing in the worlds of shoujo manga line of role-playing games. As a result of this merger, Seraphim Guard LLC now holds sway over two of the first commercially published role-playing games for the Fudge system. The first being Gatecrasher, which was originally held by Domibia Games, and HeartQuest from Seraphim Guard Incorporated. Tim Huntley of Seraphim Guard LLC could not be more pleased. He said, I'm so excited that we've been able to pull this together. It took a lot of work, but the results were certainly worth it. With both Gatecrasher and HeartQuest under our belt, we've got an exciting starting lineup for the new Seraphim Guard. Seraphim Guard LLC plans to continue publishing the anime role-playing games that Seraphim Guard fans know and love, and will also branch out into non-anime role-playing games with continued support for Gatecrasher and other games. The remainder of 2005 will see a huge re-release of the HeartQuest line, Tim Huntley went on, and 2006 should see the publication of Gatecrasher 2371, our completely rewritten and updated vision of that enduring setting. You will hear more from Tim Huntley later in this podcast. If you'd like more information or you would like to contact Tim, this information is provided on my website. And speaking of merges and tie-ins, Goodman Games is excited to announce a collaboration with Dead Gentleman Productions on the Dungeon Crawl Classics line of adventure modules and the upcoming Dead Gentleman film, The Gamers, Dorkness Rising. Goodman Games will release a special Dungeon Crawl Classics module tied to the Dorkness Rising movie, allowing gamers at home to roleplay the action in their own D20 game. This module parallels the plot of the movie, while maintaining the hilarious lighthearted attitude that makes the gamers' movies so entertaining. Darkness Rising will include scenes featuring Dungeon Crawl Classics modules, and the film's Game Master character will publish his fictional adventure under the Dungeon Crawl Classics brand. This is a great opportunity to bring two classic gaming franchises together, said Joseph Goodman, president of Goodman Games. I saw the first gamers film with my gaming group, and we laughed and laughed and laughed. It's a great movie that perfectly captures the spirit of good old-fashioned gaming fun. That's what the Dungeon Crawl Classics line is all about, and it only seemed natural to find a way to fit them together. We think that both new and old fans of the gamers franchise will be thrilled by the chance to play their own serious or comedic versions of the film at home, said Bob Dobbins, executive producer of the Dead Gentleman Productions film, The Gamers Darkness Rising. Goodman Games is a terrific match for our sense of adventure and humor, and we are confident that this module will enhance the gamers film experience in a really exciting and innovative way. The Gamer's Darkness Rising is a hilarious romp through the world of sword and sorcery. A desperate GM wants nothing more than for his gaming group to finish their adventure. Yeah, right. Unfortunately, they're more interested in seducing barmaids, mooning their enemies, and setting random villagers on fire. Can't imagine how many times I've been with a group like that. This ties in perfectly with the Dungeon Crawl Classics line of D20 adventure modules, whose motto is, No NPCs who aren't meant to be killed. Dungeon Crawl Classics are 100% good, solid dungeon crawl, with the monsters you know, the traps you fear, and the secret doors you know must be somewhere. More than a dozen Dungeon Crawl Classics adventures are available now, with more to come in 2005. For more information on Goodman Games or Dead Gentleman Productions, please check out their links found on our website. Finally, a new story I was just waiting to hear. 
China is worried too many of its citizens are addicted to online fantasy games, so it's developed new government standards, designating five hours as the limit of healthy role-playing online. At that time, your life as a magician or warrior will be interrupted with the warning, You have entered unhealthy game time. Please go offline immediately to rest. Failure to follow orders leads to lower or zero points in the game, so don't give up all hope yet, tabletoppers. This is proof positive our hobby is still the healthier alternative. Reviews of game systems and the games they power. Alright, now we come to the cream de la cream of the show, where I talk about a game, its merits and flaws, and how fun it is. Today we're talking about the fudge system. Yes, I will go into what you can actually play with it in terms of setting, genre, and so on and so forth, but right now, let's go ahead and talk about the game itself. Fun bit of trivia, Stefano Sullivan, who created the game, was originally going to just make a game where you write down what you can do, decide what dice you use, and let the GM use whatever mechanic he wanted. That can work, but he wanted something a little more substantial. Working with a good many playtesters online, he created the freeform, universal, do-it-yourself gaming engine, a.k.a. Fudge. I discovered the system in an issue of Shadus Magazine, yes, that dates me, I know, where they reviewed it and even asked contributors to start using it when they submit articles. Reason being, it makes a terrific universal translator between systems. Here's how the game works. Taken out of the box, as it were, there are no set attributes or skills or anything like that. You have a basic mechanic, and that's really it. The rule book talks about choosing attributes, skills, and whatever, but if you buy it at your local game store or download it for free at Grey Ghost Games' website, you're basically getting a toolkit. The game is sort of a point-based level system. Instead of numbers, you have word-based levels. It's similar to the Marvel Super Heroes RPG, for anyone who remembers that, but this is a lot simpler. You have seven levels. Terrible, poor, mediocre, fair, good, great, and superb. So instead of telling someone that your character is a level 10 fighter, you'd say, He's a great swordsman! It's plain English. Yeah, my agility is mediocre, but I got good intelligence. Make sense? The wound system is similar in the plain English vein. Your character might have a scratch, might be hurt, very hurt, or incapacitated. It helps with in-game dialogue, too. Help! I'm very hurt! Well, it might not roll off the tongue that well, but it's certainly more believable than hearing your character say, Help! I'm down most of my hit points. What is this hit point you speak of, O ye who must be almost incapacitated? Each level you take in wounds results in a penalty. More on that later. The game uses attributes, skills, gifts, and faults. Some games will use uh, what they term supernormal powers as a catch-all phrase for any kind of super ability, be it magic, psionics, superpowers, or cybernetics. Gifts and faults are traits that aren't measured on the level system I mentioned earlier. You either have it or you don't, but some gifts and faults can be bought more than once to greater enhance it if the GM so allows. The Game Master, before beginning a game, needs to determine what attributes and skills and gifts and faults his particular game needs. Not every game is going to need 20 attributes and a boatload of skills, and others might need more than two or three. Decide what you need and use it. Fortunately, the core book gives lots of examples for you to choose from if you're stuck for ideas. Let's go ahead and dive into character creation. Like a nice piece of homemade fudge, your character creation is taken in small bites rather than stuffing the whole thing right into your mouth. There are level pools for attributes and skills. Now, players might change the order of this, and they usually do, but this is how I like to do it. First, you buy the attributes. There's a little bit of math involved, but it's minimal. Usually the amount of free levels you're allowed is half the number of attributes. For instance, if you have six attributes, you might have three levels to give your character. A gracious and <clears throat> well-fed GM might allow more. Then you buy your skills, which usually have a default level of poor instead of fair. 
The same math applies here, although it does depend on how broad or narrow skills are. You might have less levels to choose from if you have skills like, say, crafts or fighting. If it narrows down to specific sword types or specific types of crafts, then you'll have more levels to use. GMs worry not. The book makes it very easy for you to figure this all out. Some games might allow a free gift, but others might require you to take a fault automatically to pay for it. It depends on the GM. I like to allow one or two freebies. After all, we're playing heroes, right? Supernormal powers are the same. You might get some free ones, others might cost. Faults in this game allow you to buy more gifts, or you can trade them in for cash and prizes! <clears throat> I mean, more levels in attributes and skills. What I just described is the objective system. It's perfectly structured for game balance. They also talk about other means of character creation, such as letting players run wild and make whatever, subject to GM approval or freeform character creation, but with limits, like you can only take two superb skills and three great skills. If you have a concept for your character, creation is quick and easy. Normally it's as easy as just saying what your character can do and applying the plain English terms to describe it. The game mechanic is easy as well, if you can get your hands on the dice for it, that is. Fudge dice are the special dice made for this game. They're six-siders that have two pluses, two minuses, and two blank sides. You roll four of these to determine anything. In order to do anything, the GM picks a level of difficulty which is the same as the levels you buy attributes and skills with. A given task might have a mediocre difficulty if it's easy, or great difficulty if it's really hard. To check for success, you roll the dice and add the results. Pluses and minuses cancel each other out, and blank sides are zeros. What you have left is the result. For instance, three pluses and a minus is plus two total. You choose the skill or attribute you want to check, and look at the level you have it. The GM sets a difficulty. You roll the dice, then you move up or down the levels depending on the roll. If, in the end, you're at that difficulty or better, hey, you made it. As an example, your skill is at great. The GM sets a difficulty of good. You roll the dice and get a plus one, so now that's a superb result since it went from great to superb. You made it. But had you rolled minus two, you would go down. So good and then fair, and you didn't make it. Combat is equally easy. The difficulty to hit someone is poor, and both combatants roll at the same time. Whoever rolled higher is the winner. I like this system because it's more like combat you see in movies and books. When the defender wins the roll, he takes no damage. When the attacker wins, you take the difference in levels and that's how much damage the defender takes. You do have the modifiers called offensive damage capacity and defensive damage capacity and you add those to your die rolls. Now in the event of a tie, nobody takes damage, nobody delivers damage. Kind of a stalemate situation. Now what if you can't procure some of these wonderful dice and that will make your fudge game run? No problem, the game describes some alternative methods of reaching the plus four to minus four that the fudge dice roll. They use percentile and d6s for that. Also, if you check the archives of Fudge Factor magazine online, there is a method of turning regular dice like you get from board games into fudge dice. You'll find a direct link on our website. By the way, the article is called Baby's First Fudge Dice. I can just see it now. Okay, go ahead and roll. Oh, you missed. <laughs> so what kind of settings can you use fudge with? Well, pick one. If you want examples, look in the book. There's a whole chapter on sample characters, monsters, and character templates. You'll find everything from a vampire private investigator to a ghost, to a stagecoach driver, to a cartoon character. Yes, we're talking playing like Steve Jackson Games' Toon RPG. Fudge can handle it. One problem that I do have with the fudge system is the wound system. It's a little too realistic. One good hit and you're down. 
That's good for some games, but not for others. I'd love to see an alternative, more cinematic wound tracking system. What's really nice is that the game is supported by a host of publishers. Recently, Fudge went OGL, so anyone can publish games using the Fudge system. Here's a rundown of what you can find, and remember, you can find the links on our website. The first is the aforementioned Fudge Factor magazine. It's an online zine that has some great articles. Oh hey, the problem I mentioned with the wound system? There's currently an article that details a cinematic wound system. It's a tremendous resource for Fudge players and game masters. Next is Gatecrasher, which was the first commercially published game to use the Fudge system. It's a tongue-in-cheek space opera where magic was let loose in the solar system, and lots of fun stuff happened. So you can see wizards and technological warriors fighting side-by-side, side, and you can play anything from elves to angels to dragons. This was originally published by Fudge's publisher, Grey Ghost Games, but was later bought up by Domibia Games, now Seraphim Guard. The next game, speaking of Seraphim Guard, is HeartQuest, romantic role-playing in the worlds of shoujo manga. Now, when I first saw this game, I was a little surprised. I mean, role-playing high school romance? Why not? The writers at Seraphim Guard were able to pull it off amazingly well, telling every kind of story from teen romance to magical girls to telling you how to put a shoujo manga, that's girls' comics in Japanese, a shoujo manga spin on almost any genre. As a little bit of shameless self-promotion, I wrote the Supernormal Power System for the revised edition of the game, and I'm rather proud of it. I'm working on revising it and making it better and a lot clearer. Another innovation is Now Playing from Carnivore Games. Now Playing tells you how to roleplay using television shows as a format for running games. How cool is this? On their website, you can find a free fast play game called Bedazzled, which features a show about a normal human who married a fairy. Now she's trying to be normal, except that her family and fairy friends try to keep her from doing so. Recognize the show they're patterning this off of? If you ever wanted to play in any show from Star Trek to Starsky and Hutch, this game will show you how. Lastly, I got to take a look at the demo for Hack and Slash from Digital Alchemy. If you want some old-school loot the dungeon, kill the monsters, and take their treasure, this is the game for you. I can't wait to buy this game and play it. It looks like a blast. Interviews of people in the business, or a humble player, or GM. Give a round of applause for this episode's special guest. Now on to our next feature. I would normally have an interview here, but life has kept me from doing that. However, I've been able to get a thing or three from Tim Huntley of Seraphim Guard LLC. I got to speak with Tim Huntley recently to ask him for more details of the Domibia Seraphim Guard merger, fudge, and about a great bundle deal he has going over at RPGnow.com. Unfortunately, Tim was unable to record his answers in time, but do not fret. In two weeks, you'll get to know Tim much more intimately. For your convenience, I've asked my partner in crime, Jude Thaddeus, to read Tim's responses in his place. Jude is known widely for his Crochet for Men podcast, which you can find at crochetformen.blogspot.com. You'll also find a link to that on our website. Now, here's how the conversation turned out. Hello, Tim. Thank you for taking the time to answer our questions. My pleasure, Mike, and I'm honored to be here. And we're happy you're here, too. Let's get started. Can you please tell us more about the Domibia and Seraphim Guard merger? It actually started a lot longer ago than the press release indicates. After Seraphim Guard Incorporated effectively disbanded, leaving Michael Hopcroft with the business and a few products, my wheel started turning. I'd always wanted something better for Domibia Games, and I thought it such a crime that Seraphim Guard, one of the first commercial pu fudge publishers, was on the verge of oblivion, with its key product, HeartQuest, in someone else's hands. So I purchased all of Michael's interest in Seraphim Guard, thinking that, as majority shareholder, I'd quickly get voted in as president, and I could start putting the pe pieces back together again. Sadly, I could not have been more mistaken. It was an uphill battle, and without the assistance of William Anderson of Comstar Games, I would have long ago backed out of the deal. 
With William's help, I was able to consolidate the assets of Seraphim Guard Incorporated with Domibia Games and transfer them all into Seraphim Guard LLC, a new company formed specifically to house the merger. Great. Now why did the merger happen? Honestly, I didn't want to see Seraphim Guard and HeartQuest disappear. I felt that Seraphim Guard needed strong management and that HeartQuest should be a Seraphim Guard product. I made it my mission to see that happen. I see. Why did you want to merge with Seraphim Guard? There's actually a little method to my madness here. First off, the obvious reasons. Seraphim Guard was in dire straits, and I knew I could get it back on track. Beyond that, Domibia Games had Gatecrasher, the first complete commercial RPG based on the Fudge system. Seraphim Guard was one of the first commercial Fudge publishers, with another of the first complete commercial RPGs based on the Fudge system, HeartQuest. Having two such renowned Fudge products under the banner of a mature Fudge publishing house, Seraphim Guard, seemed like an excellent foundation for one heck of a game company. Okay, now what are the benefits to the gamer due to this merger? The main benefit is that the HeartQuest and Gatecrasher fans out there will see renewed interest in, and support for, their favorite game lines. In addition, we've got the right people in the right places to run the business and develop new games. In short, Seraphim Guard is back, isn't going anywhere, and is stronger than ever. Nice. What is your interest in the HeartQuest and Steel Roses books? There's actually two answers to that question. Primarily, I'm somewhat of an anime neophyte. Through HeartQuest, Steel Roses, and the guidance of my staff, I am learning more and more every day about this exciting genre. I'm learning that what I once thought was cheap, mass-produced cartoons are actually a very refined and dynamic art form, every bit as engaging as any multi-million dollar Hollywood extravaganza. Secondly, these products are, in my opinion, cornerstones of the commercial fudge market. Tell us a bit about the combination package now available at RPG Now. Ah, the HeartQuest Anime Shoujo Bundle. Basically, this bundle is made up of both the HeartQuest core rules, the essential rules to roleplay romance, intrigue, and adventure in the world of shoujo manga, and Steel Roses, the HeartQuest guide to Mecha, packaged as one complete product. With the HeartQuest Anime Shoujo bundle, you can immerse yourself and your players in any shoujo or anime scenario you can imagine. The financial struggles that are currently plaguing Guardians of Order are no secret, and they've had to push back the release of BESM 3rd Edition to December. While I hate to see that happen to our friends at Goo, Seraphim Guard is a member of the Magnum Opus program for both BESM D20 and Tristat DX. It does leave an opening in the market for a good, solid anime RPG. I think the HeartQuest Anime Shoujo Bundle and the upcoming HeartQuest 2nd Edition slated for release in 2006 are prime contenders to fill that opening. Could you explain the benefits of buying this combination online right now at RPG Now? It would make me really happy. <laughs> the main benefit is that the HeartQuest Anime Shoujo Bundle is very inexpensive. It's priced to move at only $9.95 at RPGNow.com for both HeartQuest Core Rules and Steel Roses. That's quite a bargain. The other benefit is that with those two volumes, you have everything you need to enter our HeartQuest setting search. We need sample settings for HeartQuest 2nd Edition, and we'd like our HeartQuest fans to write them. We're hoping to select three total settings for HeartQuest 2nd Edition. Those that are selected will be a part of the HeartQuest 2nd Edition book, and the author will get a royalty-free license to the HeartQuest trademarks for expanding their setting and or developing support materials for it. Details are, of course, available on our website. The website is located at www.seraphim-guard.com.
Well, thanks once again for taking the time to hear our questions and giving some great and informative answers. It's been a pleasure, Mike, and I look forward to our interview in two weeks. Sorry about the negative four die roll on remembering my mic. And if you go to our website at rpgshowcase.blogspot.com, you can get a typed-out version of the interview. Get ready, players. Here's my game tip for this episode. Lastly, here's this edition's game tip, something to make your gaming life just a little easier. I've kept every character I've ever played. Who knows, I might need them again. Now, I don't like the idea of just stuffing character sheets into game books or boxes or whatever, so here's what I did. I have two three-ring binders. One of them is filled with originals of all the character sheets I have. I don't like to punch holes in my character sheets, so I keep them in page protectors available at any office supply store. The other is a binder that has all my characters in it, which also makes use of page protectors. You can stuff more than one sheet into a page protector, so if you just need to store characters, use one protector per character. But if you want to actually look at the sheets individually, then one page protector per sheet. To further organize, put all sheets in alphabetical order, and get yourself some tabs to stick on the sides of the page protectors for easy searching. Listen up, players. We've got a hot item, and even better, it's free! Now, here's the free item I mentioned earlier. Again, I thank you for your patience with me, and I hope you enjoy it. Remember in the early years of Dragon Magazine, all those amazing numbers of charts that used random die rolls? Critical hit charts, random encounter charts, random location charts, random treasure charts, all that random? We really love the critical hit charts, allowing the random results to provide extra spice to the combat results whenever the DM chores came our way. Recently, a Dragon reader called attention to good hits and bad misses, which was an article that was uh, loaded with these charts from Dragon number 39. In the article, a miniatures gamer named Carl unveiled plenty of ways to make critical hits mean more than double or triple damage, though those possibilities exist as well. Looking back, those critical hit charts were brutal. They were real party killers, yet they added something extra to the average combat. Just looking at these charts makes one wonder what would happen if Dragon were to modify the terminology slightly for modern use and print them in the magazine. These charts offer an amazing number of results with absolutely no saving throw. Also, since attributes were handled somewhat differently then, some of the attribute penalties within these charts were also quite lethal. Then Dragon had an even crazier idea. With today's marvelous die-rolling programs, what would happen if they offered the charts as a free download on their website? Admittedly, these charts could infuriate your players. On the other hand, allowing these critical hit results against monsters and NPCs could add considerable spice to an ordinary counter. If you would really like the ultimate TPK program, otherwise known as Total Party Killer, please click the URL entitled Ultimate Total Party Killer, provided on my homepage, and follow the instructions. Try them. You'll like them. But your player characters may not. Now that wraps up this edition of RPG Showcase. <laughs> Next episode will feature a new game and the promised interview with Tim Huntley. More news, more fun. Now that we're done, it's time for you to click on the links I gave you, search them out, and take them to the table for your next game. Especially the Total Party Killer. So we'll see you in two Tuesdays. And don't allow those pesky NPCs to give you any lip. Good night, everybody. Thank you again for listening to RPG Showcase. Please feel free to leave Mike a comment about the show at his website, located at rpgshowcase.blogspot.com. Also, feel free to email Mike with show ideas, news stories, questions, or feedback at rpgshowcase at gmail.com. See you in two weeks, and remember... If the story's worth telling, the story's worth playing.